You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The cyber attack on the U.S. Department of Health and Homeland Services seems now to have been a minor incident. This information about COVID-19 and measures to contain the pandemic continue to serve as both fishbait and disruption. And U.S. prosecutors move to stop prosecution of a Russian influence shop fingered by the Mueller investigation. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 17, 2020. The widely reported cyber attack on the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Bloomberg reported yesterday morning, now seems less serious than early reports made it out to be. Bloomberg quoted a statement by U.S. National Security Council spokesman John Ulyat, who said, quote, We are aware of a cyber incident related to the Health and Human Services computer networks, and the federal government is investigating this incident thoroughly. HHS and federal government cybersecurity professionals are continuously monitoring and taking appropriate actions to secure our federal networks. End quote. The New York Times reports the incident appears to have been an opportunistic and relatively crude probing of the department's networks for vulnerabilities. There was speculation that the incident represented a state-sponsored attack, but it looks more like the sort of preparatory distributed denial-of-service attack organizations see all the time. DDoS attacks, if that's what the incident turns out to be, are commodity operations that many people could mount, as Vox observes. And people have jumped to conclusions about DDoS before, as some historical reflection will show. Remember Mirai, the IoT worm that clogged the Internet along the U.S. eastern seaboard and elsewhere for several hours back in September of 2016? It was widely believed at the time, and not by crazies, but by well-informed and serious people, to be a Russian demonstration. Moscow's shot across Washington's bow, intended to show the smug Yankees that their infrastructure could be held at risk. Which, in a way, we suppose it did. But it wasn't the Russians at all. By January of 2017, Krebs on Security had tracked down the principal mastermind, a self-described passionate entrepreneur who was running some kind of Minecraft-themed click scheme from his dorms at Rutgers. In the case of the HHS incident, it seems there's not much to worry about. A Department of Homeland Security source told the Washington Post's Ellen Nakashima that on a scale of 1 to 10, it's about a 2. As is usually the case with widespread crises, 
Criminals seek to take advantage of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Proofpoint reports that TA505, the Russian-speaking criminal gang Microsoft calls Evil Core, and others know as Graceful Spider, is back with a ransomware downloader it's using against targets in the U.S. healthcare, manufacturing, and pharmaceutical sectors. TA505 is best known for Lockheed ransomware and the Drydex banking trojan. The fishbait is coronavirus-themed, and another criminal group, TA564, is doing much the same against Canadian citizens, in this case spoofing the Public Health Agency of Canada. Neither campaign spam is particularly well-crafted or convincing, bearing as it does the usage errors and eccentric capitalization that have long been the familiar stigmata of the Russian mob. But they've been successful. Their secret is volume. The troll farmers of St. Petersburg are a lot more fluent and high-spirited, but then they can afford to be. They're working on the government's dime. There's also some disinformation circulating that attributes COVID-19 to 5G networks, CNET reports. The reason the virus emerged in Wuhan, the influencers say, and various Russian state outlets suggest, is because there are, of course, so many 5G towers around Wuhan. You won't swallow that one, but some people do, like influencers and those whom they influence. This particular rumor is marginally less plausible than, say, chemtrails, if you're keeping score at home. There are a handful of people in the cybersecurity world who need no introduction, and it's fair to say Kevin Mitnick is among them. Depending on your point of view, he's either famous, infamous, or perhaps notorious for his use of social engineering in his younger days, activities that found him at odds with both telecommunications companies and law enforcement. These days, he runs his own consulting firm and serves as the chief hacking officer at security awareness company Know Before. Kevin Mitnick and I sat down together at the RSA conference. I still see that we have the same problems that we did last year. I see ransomware is getting much worse. Uh, not in how prolific it is, but the new types of attacks. Like, for example, a threat actor compromises MSP. They get enough data from the MSP. They could access internal networks of their clients, the MSP's clients. They basically deploy ransomware into the MSP after they've compromised their clients and exfilled data. Right. And now the game has changed. It's not that, hey, we'll give you your data back if you give us some money via Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency. But tell you what, we're, we're, we're going to expose your client's data publicly unless you pay us. Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. after wiping their data, of course. So then it becomes, you know, what company out there, what MSP, can you you be right out? Of, you'll be out of business, right? You, yeah. you get a bunch of your clients, and all their data is going to expose. You're going to pay. You know, I, I mean, you'd be nuts not to. Else, you're, you're going to decide to pay or just go out of business because calling the FBI and the Secret Service will be probably be a largely a waste of time because they'll get involved and do their investigation. But that's after the damage is done. When, when you were coming up and, and you were, you know, first exploring all of these things and, and many of the, you know, the, the exploits that you are famous for, do you suppose you, you, back then, could you have imagined what we have today, the types of attacks that we're seeing, the way that cybersecurity and cyber itself is in every part of the world? When, did you have the, that vision back then for where things might be heading? Well, I had the vision for self-driving cars, okay. but I did not you know, have the vision. I remember telling my dad about that's going to be, uh, you know, maybe in his, not in his lifetime, but my lifetime, yeah. where cars are going to be automated. And I remember driving down the 405 freeway 
and this is in LA, part of California, and I was explaining how the system would work with cameras and all this, and this is when I was probably 10. And now here, now I'm a lot older. And, but as far as the hacking and seeing where social engineering was going into ransomware, you know, at the time I was doing this, when I was a teenager and young adult, not, no. Yeah. Uh, you know, because back then I was using dial-up. I, the internet wasn't even born, it was the ARPANET. Right. Um, so this is, you know, 1995 and prior. So the computers weren't a household name like today. You know, not everyone had their... Um, you know, their iPhone right. or, or other device that they carry in their pocket with all the time. It was a different world. I always thought, though, when I testified at Congress in 2000, Joseph Lieberman and uh, Frank Thompson, uh, Fred Thompson, I'm sorry, invited me to testify for Congress. And I warned him back in 2000, March of 2000, that social engineering is here and now and a way in, uh, not only to private sector, but public sector networks and systems, and it will probably be here for a long time unless you start doing, you know, start, unless you start educating the masses. I was going for mass education, like uh, public service announcements on television mm -hmm. and stuff to educate the everyday person, not people here at RSA. They should know better. Right. But, uh, you know, and they never did it, of course. And, you know, here we are today, 2020. This was in 20, 2000, so 20 years later, hmm. nothing has changed. Wow. Yeah. Are, are you optimistic for the future? Do you feel as though people have, have sat up and are taking note that they're starting to put the things in place to, to get ahead of these things? Yeah, like I look at new technologies that are coming on the market like passwordless uh, authentication. Yeah. Right? So a lot of phishing attacks, if you go from the, not the pretext phone call side, but from the phishing side, a lot of those attacks are what we call credential harvesting attacks. Mm -hmm. So it's not to get a, a malicious payload onto the victim's endpoint, it's to get the credentials. So in those types of attacks, if you know, people adopt, companies adopt these uh, passwordless technologies, then there's no passwords to steal. You know, you just see these scams happening all the time. So I really think, I'm really a true believer that education is key. That's Kevin Mitnick from Know Before. The U.S. National Security Council warns that foreign influence operations are also using fear of coronavirus to push the line that the U.S. is under a national lockdown that's tantamount to a martial law, black helicopters and the whole nine yards. Because corroborative detail gives artistic verisimilitude to an otherwise bald and unconvincing narrative, the specific authority for the coming national jackboot is the Stafford Act. So stock up on canned goods, batteries, pistol ammunition, dog chow for the indispensably rowdy dog. Or actually, don't. Because, of course, the Stafford Act, under which the president declared a state of emergency, has nothing to do with national quarantines or martial law. It's a law that facilitates federal delivery of assistance to the states and to others during times of emergency. Mother Jones and U.S. News, two publications that tend to see the news from markedly different perspectives, have both reported on the false news, and they reach much the same conclusion. It's, of course, bogus. Much of the disinformation is being disseminated by email, text, WhatsApp, and TikTok, the Washington Post writes, noting that these are harder to track than similar campaigns over Twitter or Facebook would be. Much of the messaging is delivered as an image file, which also makes them more difficult to screen. Text messages may be an unusually convincing way of disseminating false rumors. Graham Brookie, who directs the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, told the Washington Post that text messages are effective persuaders because of their homey familiarity 
It's the same technology friends and families use to stay in touch, so the news reported by text just strikes people as sounding right. Some of the disinformation is probably state-run, like the Chinese claims we discussed yesterday that COVID-19 started in the U.S. Army. But much of it is no doubt spontaneously generated, and it's certainly not confined to the U.S. A great deal of fake news about mobs, rioting, and panic are circulating elsewhere too, particularly in Europe. And finally, the U.S. Justice Department has decided not to continue its prosecution of Concord Management and Consulting, a company which, despite its old-fashioned American-sounding name, is a Russian firm which does no business in the U.S. The company had been indicted for influence operations as a result of Special Counsel Mueller's investigation of Russian operations during the U.S. 2016 elections. The Washington Post reports that prosecutors cited a, quote, change in the balance of the government's proof due to a classification determination, end quote, in their filing for dismissal. This led them to conclude that proceeding would no longer be in the interest of either justice or national security. The prosecutor's filing essentially argues that Concord would use discovery and the trial itself to further its own ends, and that the company was essentially beyond the reach of U.S. punitive measures. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com.
And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. But more importantly, he's my co-host on the Caveat Podcast, which you have not yet checked out. What are you waiting for? It's great. It really uh, <laughs> is great. You should check it out. Uh, ben, uh, article uh, we're going to talk about today. This comes from The Hill, written by Maggie Miller and Nathaniel Weixel. Uh, and it's HHS introduces new rules to give patients more control over their health data. What's going on here? So the Department of Health and Human Services has finalized two new rules that are going to be put in the federal register uh, and will have the force of law. Hmm. Um, one of the rules was issued by the department's office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, ONC, uh, and one was uh, written by CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, okay. uh, led by uh, Seema Verma. So the first rule, the ONC rule, implements portions of the 2016 21st Century Cures Act. It requires health providers to allow patients to electronically access their own data, and the patients would not have to pay to access their own data. Hmm. And it puts into place some security protocols so that that data is protected. Uh, The CMS rule ensures the exchange of health information between providers by making sure that those exchanges are secure, that they comply with cybersecurity uh, best practices. And then it requires third-party groups to provide information on their data privacy policies before information is shared with them. Although I'll note that those third-party groups are not subject to those uh, rather stringent cybersecurity uh, regulations. Mm. And the fact that those third-party vendors have not been included uh, in the enforcement of this rule has concerned probably the key interest group uh, you know, who, who really has a stake in this, and that's the American Hospital Association. Mm. They said that the rule did not go far enough. Uh, these rules didn't go far enough to protect patient data because you know, oftentimes, and I think we've mentioned on our podcast and perhaps on CyberWire as well, these third-party developers aren't as secure and are not as subject to these same regulations. So if your doctor's office is using some sort of third-party vendor, there have been instances where those vendors have been selling anonymized information, private health information, even though it is anonymized, right. um, for profit to other companies. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the, the large basis of concern here. Yeah, it's interesting to me that that you'll be able to access your information electronically. I remember not long ago, I, I had reached out to my uh, my general practitioner about some information I was hoping to get, and I asked, uh, could they just email it to me? And they said, uh, no, for security reasons, we, we don't email things. However, we could fax it to you. Ah, uh, the old fax to, machine comes well, back. Well, that's what I replied. I said, I said, I'm sorry, I left my fax machine in 1995. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, mm. so I think... How do those things work anyway? I don't know. It has something to do with a landline. It's, it's, all, very, uh, it's, it's, it's all very ancient. It is, but, yeah. Um, so uh, good to see, I suppose, some pressure to get them to catch up with that because access to your information, I think, is is key for consumers of this sort of thing. It's good to be able to have access to that information. Uh, right. But in- interesting that the uh, American Hospital Association thinks that this isn't enough. Yeah, and I think largely that's due to the third-party application issue. I think there is broader agreement among all stakeholders that overall the intent of these rules is a wise one, and that's to both protect consumer data and give consumers a secure portal to review their own health information and you know provide things like tr- price transparency so you can log into your personalized system 
see how much your procedures have cost, right. um, see how much insurance will cover. So I think it'll have um, a major effect downstream for uh, healthcare consumers, which, you know, eventually will be all of us. Right, um, right, right. All right. Well, it's an interesting development. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.